so w- one of the things that it has uh, given me an opportunity to do is to spend more time next to my wife. Um, neither one of us is as independent as we used to be. She is not going off to work. She's home every day. And so uh, uh, we're able to do uh, uh, have lunch every, every day together, which is nice. And, um, and we also watched a movie recently uh, called Anna with uh, Anth- uh, Andy, uh, Andy Garcia. And it tells a story of a guy named Rafael, who was a Cuban working in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. He's a used car salesman, so that in and of itself should tell you a little bit about him, right? Uh, almost against his will, he ends up befriending Anna, uh, a young lady, uh, uh, 14 years old, I think. She's kind of a street urchin from across the street of, from his car lot. And he takes her across the island to find her father. At one point, they stop near the, right next to the ocean at a big lagoon. And he asks if she knows the story of St. Tino. She says, no, never heard of him. Oh, let me tell you the story about St. Tino. Well, Tino was a farmer. He was crippled and he had a cow and he was walking his cow near this lagoon. And then the cow slipped and fell in. And the rope that Tino was holding got wrapped up around his legs. And Tino went in the water after his cow. He was sure he was going to die. But God took pity on him because, as Garcia relates, Tino was a good man. He was humble and he was honest. Well, it turns out the lagoon was actually a blowhole. And so once a significant wave hit the uh, coast, then the water shot through the hole and threw Tino up out of the water and onto the grass. And he was saved. And that's how Tino became Saint Tino. But it all happened because he was a good man. He was humble and he was honest. And it got me to thinking, how do you become the center of? of a local legend like that. You know, would there ever be a day where someone would be talking about St. Jim? Uh, um, uh, You know, I I don't know. I don't know. I I might have to go throw myself into a blowhole or something. You never know. You know, around Miami, you will find any number of streets that are named after individuals. um, and, And typically it's because of their heroism, their bravery, or some sort of significant accomplishment. Think about what you would have to do in today's world, what you would have to do to have a city named after you. Or or even beyond that, how about a nation or a country named after you? Now, don't expect to move to Hallwayville or fly to Hallway Land or drive down Hallway Avenue anytime soon. I'm just happy that you guys are going to walk the hallways today uh, on, on your way home. So I'm there in one way or another. Let me take it one step further. What kind of person would you need to be for God to show up and talk to you? What needs to happen in your life so that God would feel you are worthy of his appearing? I mean, I think of Mary. Of all the people in the Bible, she comes forth as one who is worthy of receiving a visitation from the Lord. Joseph also received a visitation. Uh, Last week, Carlos mentioned Abraham, who was also visited. And we think of Moses and Elijah and Isaiah and the Apostle Paul and all of these individuals because of their relationship with God, their 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 dedication. uh, We 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 just understand why God would want to show up to be present in the lives of people like that. Because we kind of think that in order for God to do something great with us, we have to be the right 
people doing the right thing in the right place. Well, our text today comes from Genesis chapters 27 and 28, and it's all about the story of Jacob. And, and this, is the only sto- this is the only time in this particular series of, uh, of the lectionary lessons that we're going to be talking about Jacob. So I'm going to use these texts as a kind of a jumping off point to talk a little bit about his life. Bill Moyers did a PBS special on Genesis, and then it was then transcribed into a book called Living Conversations. And he brought together a bunch of scholars, and they just talked amongst themselves. There were Jewish scholars, Christian scholars, uh, scholars from different faiths, and, and they talked about this important, important book. And one of the individuals in this panel, uh, in this roundtable type of discussion, was a lady named Renita Wems. Uh, Weems, and she describes Jacob as the first real human being in the book of Genesis. See, she suggests that the ones before Jacob were bigger than life kinds of people. I mean, what kind of faith do you have to have to be able to sacrifice your son like we talked about last week? Or at least be willing to. Jacob, she says, is someone with adjectives that we can use. Deceptive, <laughs> clever, shrewd. If I were writing it, I would add words like cheat, unscrupulous, dirty, rotten, scoundrel. Most of the patriarchs in the Old Testament take the high road. Jacob doesn't mind taking the road less traveled in Genesis, which is the low road. So we're going to read Genesis uh, chapter 27. We'll read a couple verses from there, and then we'll continue into Genesis chapter 28. And... um, You can follow along on the screen on your device, or uh, you can just uh, listen. Genesis 27, 1 through 4. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son. Yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, uh, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, after I die. All right, we're going to jump down to verse 15. Then Rebekah took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and she gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of a young goat, And then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat so that you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, put it in my path, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you are really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. Now jumping down to chapter 28, verse 10 and following. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up into heaven, 
and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything that I have promised you. Then Jacob, Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he, is so, he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place is this? It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. Well, Jacob was so named because when he and his twin brother were born, he grabbed onto the heel of his older brother Esau. The word Jacob means heel. The verb means to follow. And, and so it made sense to name him that. Uh, in a figurative way, he was also one who would grab onto and take advantage of when the boys were still fighting in Rebekah's womb, the Lord told her that each boy would become a nation and that the younger would rule over the uh, the the younger would rule over the older. And so perhaps because of that prophecy or because maybe of natural inclination, uh, Jacob, the younger twin, lived a very sheltered and protected life at home while Esau, the older twin, lived a life outdoors and became a hunter. Early on, Jacob was mastering his skills of persuasion when he persuaded Esau to give up his birthright in exchange for a bowl of lentil soup. The first part of the text we read describes how Rebekah helps Jacob successfully deceive their aging father, Isaac, who was already not able to see, and they deceived him into giving the blessing reserved for the firstborn to the oldest son. After that happened, Esau announced his plan to murder his brother. Rebekah found out about it and decided to send Jacob away. And that's where he is. He's on the run, a fugitive, as it were, when God appears to him in this house of God, which in Hebrew is Bethel or Bethel, house of God. In the chapters that follow our text, Jacob will meet and fall in love with a beautiful young lady named Rachel. But he gets tricked by Rachel's father, Laban, into marrying Rachel's older sister, Leah, first. And he works 14 years to be able to marry the love of his life. The tension between Jacob and Laban grew to a point that they separated and Jacob seeks to make peace with his brother. The night before he is to meet with Esau, a man comes and wrestles with him and they wrestle all night long. Jacob refuses to tap out until God blesses him and God blesses him with a new name, the name of Israel. With Jacob's two wives, Leah and Rachel, and each of their own handmaidens, Jacob has 12 sons and a daughter. The 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. At the end of his life, when he moves to Egypt to join his son Joseph, 
the one sold into slavery by his own brothers, he meets Pharaoh and he describes his life in this way. My life of wandering has lasted 130 years. Those years have been few and difficult, unlike the long years of my ancestors and their wanderings. You know, that's the kind of thing that you could imagine seeing on a tombstone. Here lies a man who lived a short, hard life full of difficulties. You know, at the end of my life and perhaps at the end of yours, I would want my tombstone to say something different. (laughs) Uh, uh, Us missionary types have a saying, we'd rather burn out than rust out. And, um, and, and, and that kind of uh, describes a certain mentality that isn't necessarily better. A short, hard life full of difficulties. So, so what do we do with this story? What do we do with, with Jacob? Well, let me suggest that if you focus too much on Jacob, you're going to miss the whole point of this story. Jacob wasn't the right person. He was the second born son, not the firstborn. Jacob wasn't doing the right thing. He was running for his life after he had swindled and cheated him out of the blessing of the firstborn. Jacob wasn't in the right place when God first appeared to him. He was on the run, outside of his family, away from his home. There was nothing about Jacob to suggest that he would be a good candidate for God to appear to. So so really this story is less about Jacob and more about God. God had expressed his intention to bless Jacob from before Jacob had actually been born. No doubt Rebekah shared this blessing with Jacob, and so Jacob thought that he would have to cheat and weasel his way into God's blessing because he thought the way to get the blessing is to through me, Jacob. But what the scriptures indicate is the blessing is more about God and less about our squeaky clean lives. Jacob might have been the first person in the Bible who thought that God's blessing was reserved for the right person doing the right thing at the right time, but it was definitely not the last person who thought that. I'm sure you've heard this phrase. It was made popular actually centuries before Ben Franklin put it in his almanac. Early to bed, early to rise, make a man what? Healthy, wealthy, and wise. Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be wealthy? Do you want to be wise? You can do it. All you have to do is make sure you go to bed early uh, and wake up early. Well, for Jacob and the, 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 the millions who follow after him, the path to blessing is all about us. Scriptures point us in a little different direction. God's blessing is less about us and more about his desire to bless us at all costs, beyond reason, in ways that we could never imagine. So so does this mean it's not important then to be the right person and to do the right thing and to be in the right place? Well, yes and no. I, I think a lot of times our own stubbornness ends up hurting us. Our stubbornness doesn't put us outside the reach of God's grace and mercy, his blessing, but it does make our lives more miserable. God's intention is to bless us. And when we grab onto it and we try to manhandle God's blessing into our lives, 
then we make our lives more miserable. God can still do what he wants to do, but it's just more miserable for us. It's like when you take the wrong exit off of the turnpike, especially one that you didn't realize that said no return exit. (laughs) Your GPS will get you where you want to go, but it might take you a lot longer, a lot more complicated, and you will arrive a lot more frustrated and miserable. God wants to bless us. But when we don't wait for his timing and when we seek to latch on to the blessing and manipulate and weasel our way into God's blessing, we end up with a short, hard life full of difficulty. A friend sent me something this last week and he said, this is the most comforting thing I've heard. When God put a calling on your life, He already factored in your stupidity. When God put a calling on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. At the end of his life, Jacob realized, man, I've been trying and pushing so hard. And this is what God had been wanting to give me all along. I I don't know if you spend time thinking about this, probably not, but but I've spent time thinking this this last week. What would Jacob's life have looked like if he would have allowed God to do his work rather than scheming and cheating his way into God's blessing? What would that life have looked like? I, I don't think it would have meant he had no problems, but I think it would have meant that he had the confidence in who God was and what God was doing, that he never had to look over his shoulder seeing if someone was trying to kill him or chase him or this hard life that he had lived. You know, the one person who knows how to live on this earth with all the conflict, the hatred, the illness that is on this planet is the one who invites us to follow him. He has already decided, if you follow me, you will be blessed. Every single person who follows me will receive my blessing. I mean, he is the epitome. Jesus is the epitome of patient endurance. The thousands and millions of years he waited to come to earth. The years growing up as a baby, as an adolescent, as a young adult, waiting. Even during the time of his ministry, those three years of public ministry, waiting. My time has not yet come. How does God Manage to wait when he knows what he wants to do, when he knows how to get there, when he sees the need and he sees the path. God waits. God's restraint, his patience as seen through Jesus is just absolutely amazing. And I think that's the key to receiving the blessing that God wants to give us. Waiting on God. Easy to say, horribly, horribly difficult to live. Now, for the last year and a half, you have heard us say over and over and over that God is present with us at home as we connect to Facebook, as we commune with our brothers and sisters from a distance, and that has been... One of the things that helped us get through this last year and a half of pandemic. And it's true. 
God is everywhere and he is at our homes and he is with you at home. But you know where where else God is also present? He's present right here, too. We focused for so many years, so many years, for a year and a half, so many months on God not being limited to this building. But we also need to remember, yes, he is here, too. And there are benefits and value to being together. So let me just say, please be thinking about what it looks like for you who are still at home to to be here with us. You know, you might be waiting for the COVID numbers to decrease and when it's a little bit safer and totally 100 percent understand the numbers are going down and we're getting closer. I think we're getting closer. I, I know some who are waiting for the mask mandate to be lifted and so they can come and they don't have to wear a mask. I understand that we're getting closer. Don't have a date yet, but I imagine within the upcoming weeks and or months We will receive that freedom and those opportunities. And so please remember, God is with you at home, but he is also here amongst his people. And we would love for you to be a part of that gathering. Let me close by reading once again God's blessing for Jacob. And understand that these are the very blessings that he is offering to all of us through Jesus. 28.15 I am with you, God's presence. And I will protect you wherever you go, God's protection. One day I will bring you back to this land, God's power to transform our lives and take us where he wants us to be. I will not leave you, God's constant help, until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. God's ultimate promise to be with us. The task for us is to receive this promise, to wait on him and live our lives in his hands.